Pastor Mike Coppersmith when he was in kindergarten and sat for his very first school photo. Here it is. You can see I had a hard time sitting still for the camera. But you know, I can remember that uh, sunny day in September of 1957 in a little beach community in Southern California when my mother walked me to our local elementary school up to the door of the kindergarten classroom, knelt down in front of me, rearranged my clothes one last time, and then whispered this final plea to me. Now, Michael, be good. And with a little pat on the posterior, I was off into a whole new world of desk, pencils, teachers, books. Now, Michael, be good. If you have ever said something similar to your children or grandchildren, would you please raise your hand at this time? Yes, we tend to put a pretty high premium on being good. But goodness is important not only to us. Goodness is very, very important to God, so important to God that He chose to give to us the gift of His Holy Spirit in order to produce goodness in and through us. So here at Mission Liberty Hill, we're in a message series right now on what the Bible calls the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Pull out your message notes, and there you'll see that uh, definition of fruit of the Spirit that uh, I trust you're getting familiar with, those Christ-like attitudes of the heart coming from Christ's gift of the Holy Spirit resulting in Christ-like actions in life. The fruit of the Spirit are listed in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. And every Sunday, uh, we're singing uh, the uh, chorus to a hymn called The Fruit of the Spirit. So uh, this is our way of committing the nine fruit of the Spirit to memory. So let's sing the chorus of the fruit of the Spirit today. We'll sing it twice. So in this message series, we've been following Jesus in his journey through uh, uh, his passion to the cross and then ultimately to the empty tomb. And we're seeing how in that journey, Jesus displayed each and every one of those nine fruit of the Holy Spirit that you just talked about. Thus far, we've seen Jesus display the fruit of the Spirit of kindness in the giving of the Lord's Supper to his disciples in the upper room. Then we saw him in that same upper room display the fruit of the Spirit of gentleness as he washed their disciples' feet. Then we traveled with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, we saw Jesus display the fruit of the Spirit of patience while he prayed in the garden, and also the fruit of the Spirit of faithfulness in the face of the unfaithfulness of his disciples. Now we go with Jesus to the uh, court of the Jewish leaders called the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, and their high priest named Caiaphas. And we're going to see this morning how in the face of evil... Jesus Christ displayed the fruit of the spirit of goodness. 
Now, what is this fruit of the Spirit called goodness? Well, in the New Testament, the Greek word for goodness is this word right here, agothosune. And it means this. I put a definition on your message notes. Look at it. A God-given, God-pleasing moral quality characterized by being godly in character and godly and Christ-like in conduct. That's goodness. So let's pick up the story of Christ's journey to the cross, and we're going to see how he displayed this God-given, God-pleasing moral quality characterized by being godly in character and Christ-like in conduct. Uh, Matthew chapter 26 is where you want to turn to in your Bibles, and today we look at verses 57 to 68. Give you a moment to find that in your scriptures. Okay, we'll start with verse 57. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do you need any more witnesses? Look, now they have now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you. One thing for sure, there wasn't much goodness going on around Jesus back then, was there? Caiaphas in the council tried to set Jesus up. They lied about him. They twisted his words. They responded and resorted to violence, abuse, ridicule, mocking. There wasn't much goodness back then. And you know, there isn't much goodness today in our world. We live in a fallen world. The Bible says our world is in bondage to decay. In our world, crime does seem to pay. In our world, a lack of civility and respect seems to be rewarded and applauded nowadays. In our world, People who love God sometimes seem to end up on the short end of the stick. Sickness and sorrow run rampant. Satan lies and distorts the truth. Yes, 
there didn't seem to be much goodness back then, and there doesn't seem to be much goodness today. But Jesus Christ was able to show goodness because he saw goodness from his heavenly Father's perspective. I want you to look again, if you would, in your Bible at verse 64 and what Jesus said in verse 64. Jesus said, yes, it is as you say, but I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's a heavenly perspective. And so much in life is really a matter of perspective. A young college co-ed had two problems that are common to many young people in college. Number one, poor grades, and number two, no money. So she uh, decided that she had to communicate these problems to her parents, who she knew would have a hard time understanding what was going on. So she sent them the following letter to soften the blow. Here's what the letter said. Dear Mom and Dad, just thought I'd drop you a note to clue you in on my plans. I've fallen in love with a guy named Jim. He quit high school after 10th grade to get married. About a year ago, he got a divorce when he was put in jail. But he's out now. We've been going steady for two months and plan to get married in the fall. Until then, I've decided to move in with him. At any rate, I dropped out of school last week, although I hope to finish college sometime in the future. Then on the next page, she continued, Mom and Dad, I just want you to know that everything I've written so far in this letter is false. None of it is true. But Mom and Dad, it is true that I got a C in French and I flunked math. It is true that I'm going to need some more money for my tuition payments. <laughs> It's all a matter of perspective, is it not? And this is the truth when it comes to goodness. So much in life is a matter of perspective. Here's God, our Heavenly Father's perspective on goodness. Two important truths. I want you to write these down. Truth number one, real goodness comes from God. Real goodness comes from God. Jesus said as much. In Luke 18, verses 18 and 19, look at that scripture on your notes. Jesus said, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good but God alone. Now, let me make this very clear. Jesus was not saying here that he isn't God. Instead, what he was really saying is that he is good because he is God. You know, the English word good has its origins in the word God. Goodness comes really only from God, and it means that if you're going to have goodness in your life, you must have God in your life. It's like an equation I shared with the children in a children's talk a number of months ago. Some of you may well remember this. Here's how it goes. Good minus God equals nothing. Good minus God equals nothing. Oh, there is a certain kind of goodness, 
in our world today. But more often than not, that goodness is associated just with outward actions. A person is called good if they stay out of trouble, if they provide for their family, if they keep their hands off their neighbor's spouse, and if they give to charity. We look at a person like that and we say, they're good. But these outward things don't take into account what is going on in the heart. And God always looks at the heart, which he says is dirtied and corrupted by sins. Here's God's heart diagnosis of the human heart. Notice what he says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things, desperately evil. Who can understand it? That's the human heart apart from a faith relationship and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Good minus God equals zip. Oh, that person is so good. How could God keep them out of heaven? Because he sees their heart. You don't. And the heart is desperately, desperately sick. This is why we need a Savior. And when you trust in Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for the cleansing of your heart upon the cross, that blood of Christ does cleanse you. It forgives you. It makes your heart pure and right before God so that we can see the Holy Spirit within us starting to produce this fruit of the Spirit of goodness, that God-given, God-pleasing moral quality characterized by being godly in character and Christ-like in conduct. Real goodness comes from God not from ourself. And that's the first part, first important truth in the Heavenly Father's perspective on goodness. Here's the second truth. Write it on your notes. Real goodness ultimately triumphs over evil. Not only does real goodness come from God, real goodness ultimately triumphs over evil. And hey, think about this for a moment. When did goodness triumph over evil? Every time you walk into this church, you have a reminder of when goodness triumphed over evil. It was at the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at the next scripture on your notes. Colossians 2, 14 and 15 says this about Jesus. He canceled the written or the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to the cross. In this way, God disarmed the rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Real goodness ultimately triumphs over evil. Now, this doesn't mean that living in goodness, living for goodness, living with the goodness of Jesus Christ will be an easy road in this evil wor world. It will not be for any of us, but ultimately the victory will be ours 
in Jesus Christ because real goodness comes from God through faith in Christ and real goodness ultimately triumphs over evil. In the words of an old hymn I remember singing as a child, it goes this way, this is my father's world. This is my father's world. Here's how it goes. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. And his will shall be done. His kingdom shall come. Real goodness comes from God. Real goodness ultimately triumphs over evil. That's God's perspective. Now, from God's perspective, therefore, how shall we live? From God's perspective, how shall we live and display in our lives this fruit of the Holy Spirit called goodness? How can that happen? Well, three things are very important. I want you to look at 1 Peter 2, 20 to 24. This scripture talks about living with the fruit of the Spirit amid the evil of this world. Let's read it out loud together from your notes. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. So, how shall we live? First of all, if you want to live with the fruit of the spirit of goodness in your life, write this down. Overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Look again at that scripture we just read together. Verses 21 to 23 say this. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth when they hurled their insults at him. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Have you heard of the old adage before? Fight fire with fire? Sure you have. And that's the way of the world. Fight evil with evil. Return evil for evil. If someone sticks it to you, stick it back to them. That's the way of the world. It's like a little boy who came home from Sunday school and recited to his parents the memory verse he had tried to learn in Sunday school. And here's the way he recited the verse. Do one to others as they do one to you. It's the way of the world, but I want to tell you, it is not the way of the Heavenly Father. It's not the way of His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus must have been tempted to do one to others as someone did it to Him. He must have been tempted to do that with Caiaphas and the council, but He chose not to fight evil with evil. He chose to fight evil with 
goodness. Let me ask you, is there some place in your life where you need to do the same? Overcome evil with goodness. Now, here's the second way to display the fruit of the spirit of goodness in your life. As you overcome evil with goodness, entrust yourself and others to the goodness of God. Entrust yourself and others to the goodness of God. I'll let you know one of the things that keeps us from overcoming evil with goodness is this. When someone sticks it to us, we think if we just return goodness to them, they're going to walk all over us, right? They're, they're just going to take advantage of us and we'll just end up being a doormat to them. Jesus could have thought the same thing. But instead, as verse 23 says uh, in that scripture that we just read, instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. If you long to see the fruit of the Spirit manifested in your life of goodness, that fruit of the Spirit, you need to entrust yourself to Jesus Christ. Just risk being good and entrust yourself to Jesus Christ. He's good, and he'll take care of you. And you also need to entrust others to Jesus too. Listen to me. It is not your job to make somebody else good. That's God's job. You can't make somebody else good. Only God can do that. So you have to entrust them to God. I like what Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, she used to say this all the time. It's my job to love Billy. It's God's job to make him good. And see, sometimes we withhold uh, goodness to another person, displaying goodness in the face of evil, because we think it's our job to make them good. No, it's God's job to make them good. It's your job to love them. Overcome evil with good. Entrust yourself and others to the goodness of God. And then, thirdly, live out goodness in light of the cross. If you want to have this fruit of the Spirit displayed in your life consistently, live out goodness in light of the cross. That's what we must always do. Verse 24 of 1 Peter 2 said this. Look at that verse. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You see, because our good deeds must come from cleansed hearts made pure by the blood of Jesus Christ, Unless they come from that kind of heart, they're not good. Listen to this very carefully. Doing good for Jesus starts with being good in Jesus. Does that make sense to you? Doing good for Jesus starts with being good in Jesus Christ, that he has cleansed you and made your heart right before God. So my mama was not too far from the truth on that September day 63 years ago when she knelt down and said to me, now, Michael, be good. Because ultimately, goodness 
conquers evil if we'll do it in light of the cross. I told you a few weeks ago about a friend that Donna and I had recently lost, a doctor who had been um, murdered in his office. Um, this was not the first time Donna's in my life has been impacted by gun violence. Uh, Donna and I have a, uh, uh, Donna has a cousin, uh, Lisa, and she and uh, Donna have been very close over the, the years. I first met Lisa when um, I came uh, with Donna to Texas, right, to meet the family, and then we got married and we came came back and we spent the night at Lisa's parents' home. And I'm, uh, I remember Lisa was going out on a date with a young man. She was just in high school at the time. And was going out with another high school friend of hers. Tom Blackwell was his name. So uh, Lisa and Tom were there and you could, they were just such the cutest couple. And they were going out on a date. I just remember this so well. It was the first time I met them. And they eventually uh, fell in love, decided to get married. And uh, we went to their wedding a few years after that, and it was just such a, a wonderful day, uh, surrounded by Donna's uh, family. You, uh, it won't be any surprise to you that Donna's family is all short. I, this is a big wedding. I remember looking around at all those people, and I said to Donna, I'm the tallest one in the room. <laughs> and Tom and Lisa, just off they launched into life, uh, four beautiful children together. Uh, just a, a lovely family. Tom went to uh, college, graduated from college, went to Duke University Law School, graduated from there, practiced law, and uh, actually became a professor at a law school in West Virginia. On January 16th, 2002, uh, Tom was in his office uh, on the phone, actually, with his church's secretary. Uh, to the church office uh, talking about an, an outreach that he was getting ready to participate in when a, uh, a, a young man named Peter uh, walked into his office uh, with a uh, high-powered handgun, automatic weapon, and shot him to death and then stepped out of Tom's office and walked down the hallway to the dean of students' office shot uh, uh, the dean of students, um, a, a man named uh, Tony, to death, and then shot three other students, killing um, one of them, uh, a gal named Angela, a young woman named Angela. Uh, Peter was um, uh, apprehended, uh, went to trial, and on February 24th, 2014, he was sentenced. And it was time for a sentencing hearing where victims could come and make statements. And uh, uh, you just have to imagine how devastating this was to our family, our whole family. You know, Donna and I, we still often go up to um, Donna's family farm located in Shive. It's uh, outside of um, Hamilton. And there, uh, there's a church out in the middle of the country that Donna's family generations ago, a little Lutheran church, um, uh, gave the land for to, uh, it's just adjoins their farm. And Donna was baptized in that 
church as a baby. And uh, there's a cemetery behind the church where we often, when we go to her farm, we just take time and walk to the cemetery. She has so many family members buried there. And we always stop at Tom's grave. He's buried out there. And, uh, uh, you know, we just think about that that day and what happened. But when we stand there, we also think about what happened on the day of his killer's sentencing. And uh, one of Tom's son, his youngest son, Zeb, just a, he was just a, a young teenager at the time, uh, spoke at uh, the sentencing of this uh young man, Peter, who had killed his father. And I want to read you uh, what Zeb said that day. Uh, speaking to Peter. Uh, and this was uh, after I might comment that Lisa, his mother, had said uh, her statement uh, and several others. Zeb stood up and he said this, my father's death has affected me in ways that my mother has talked about. I will never see him again on this earth. But my father's death has given me an additional burden that many people don't think about. But I'd like to explain that burden. When I was a little boy, my family had a picture of Jesus hanging on the wall. One day I was bouncing a ball in the stairwell and it bounced too high and knocked the picture off the wall, breaking it. I was terrified that I would get in really big trouble. When my father came home, he saw me and the broken picture and I thought he would kill me. When my father came, he didn't get mad at me. He saw that I was scared and he didn't reprimand me. He told me just one thing, and I still remember it. He said, how did you think that I wouldn't love you? See, I was afraid that he would stop loving me because I had broken something he valued. But I was much, much more valuable to him than that picture was. It's ironic that the picture I broke was a picture of Jesus because it was Jesus who showed us how to keep loving when things get broken. Peter has broken three pictures. My father, Tony, and Angela. But I know my father and I know my heavenly father and I know that they haven't stopped loving Peter. I know that my father is willing to forgive Peter. And I know that the Lord is willing to forgive Peter if Peter would just ask him to. Just like I really didn't break Jesus, but instead broke his picture, Peter actually didn't kill my father or Tony or Angela because their souls are still alive. And so the burden I have is now I am to pray for Peter and I'm to love him and I'm to forgive him because that's what my father would have done.
And then at that point, Zeb looked right at Peter, and he said these words. And so I hope, Peter, that you can understand that I love you. Overcome evil with good. Entrust yourself and others to the goodness of God. And always live out goodness in light of the cross. That's being good. That's the fruit of the Spirit called goodness. Let's stand for closing prayer. O Lord, to truly do good, we must be good. We must be in a living relationship with you through faith in your Son, Jesus, and his cleansing work. So today, by the grace and power of your Holy Spirit, we welcome you, Jesus, afresh into our lives. We trust in you. We look not to what we have done, our outward goodness, but only to your perfect goodness on the cross for us that conquered the evil and sin within us so that we could have a new heart and live out a new life. Thank you for the blessed assurance that this is your world. And though the wrong seems often so strong, you are the ruler yet. So we will live our lives, God, from your perspective, overcoming evil with good, entrusting ourselves and others to your goodness, and living out this fruit of the spirit of goodness, always in the light of the cross. May this be the story of our lives. Amen.